Hello there, everyone. This is Dan Figella here with Tech Emergence, where we interview entrepreneurs, investors, and researchers in the domain of emerging technology. We've interviewed a number of other AI folks on the podcast in the past, including Ben Gertzel um, and some other great names, uh, and, and AI being applied in fields like finance and data analytics. Today, we have the application of machine learning in language and a great startup story from a fellow who started off in my home state of Rhode Island. That's Mr. Ryan Rogowski. He's a co-founder of Wago, an app that helps folks translate uh, Chinese uh, immediately into English and Japanese also immediately into English right on your iPhone. Ryan, how are you, brother? Hi, Dan. I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Of course, my man. I'm really glad to be able to have you on. And as mentioned before, and we had our little kind of off-mic chat about sort of uh, machine learning and sort of the applications thereof. Give everybody kind of a quick gist of Wago and then also sort of how machine learning plays its role there. Because if anybody goes on the website and kind of watches their their uh, tutorial video, their walkthrough video, it's pretty amazing stuff. And you can tell that there's, uh, there's kind of some machine brains at work. But I, I want Ryan to kind of paint the picture. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Dan. Um, so basically the, the way Wago works is it's, it's this mobile application that's embedded on the smartphone, iOS or Android, and the way it works is it takes camera feeds from from when, when you point your camera at text like Chinese signs or Japanese food menus, and it, it takes the data, and without connecting to the internet, it'll figure out what the text is and then translate it immediately into English language. And so it happens instantaneously and offline. And so there's quite a bit of deep technology behind making that work. Uh, and it, it can be broken down into two parts. So there's the, the translation engine and then the, the recognition engine that's uh, powered by OCR or optical character recognition. Yeah. And so for the, the language translation, what we do is we, we've built up targeted lists of words for travel and then we, we've built a, a smart grammar algorithm that will take this language and, and translate it in a, as much of a sensible way so when you're going to order food or you're trying to find your directions that you get something that's actionable and easy to understand. Cool. And now on the flip side, yeah, with the, the recognition engine, this is more of where the, the cusp of machine learning is that we use. So uh, what we do is we, we train our algorithms on a wide variety of data sets so that we can make it more robust to different cases like shadow, lighting. There's thousands of fonts on Asian character sets like Chinese and Japanese. So yeah, that's that's what I, when we were talking before. That's what made me feel like can that be possible? Just because of how many, like you said, you show up at some some Chinese restaurants and it's literally like chicken scratch style font of of what the symbols are, and then in other places it's very blocky and sort of well defined. So it sounds like that's a lot of the difficulty on your end. Yeah, no, it's it's been a huge challenge. We we've been working on it for a couple of years, but uh, yeah, it, it makes it the Asian languages in particular make it tough because there's not only a wide variety of fonts, but there's also thousands of characters. So what you're doing is we're using machine learning to reduce the data sizes uh, so that it's more searchable. 
and then we, we optimize it on different fonts that seem to perform well. Um, cool. So it, a lot of it is trial and error, um, but there's been a lot of preparation and um, deep algorithm work done in there too. A lot, of, a lot of time staring at the old screen to uh, build, build something at, at that level of functionality. And you guys have been in the, the App Store for what, a little over a year at this point? Right, yeah, so we, we launched the fully featured app for Chinese back in April of 2013. Yep. And then we've, uh, we've since launched Japanese as well as the, the Android version of the app. And we're, we're cranking away on new languages for, for down the line this year. Cool. So as many, basically, the, the goal here, it sounds like, is as many Asian languages as you can pop on one app so someone can make their travels or eat at whatever restaurant they want. And from Cantonese to you name it, they can slap the phone on it and understand what's going on. Right, exactly. Cool. And I like I, part of why we picked Asian languages is it's really a, a huge pain point because if you think about it, when you go to Europe, visit Paris or Rome. You can at least pronounce it. Yeah, and a, a lot of the, the Latin roots are similar. Yep. But man, when you go to Beijing nope. or Japan... No, no Latin roots. It's like scribbles. Yeah, no, no, there, there are no Latin roots, very literally, uh, in that in that part of the world. So, um, so cool. And uh, I know that, you know, again, as you'd mentioned, it's a big enough pain point to want to build the technology, but then also want to build a business. And another cool thing about Wago and your story, besides coming from my little uh, funky home home uh, state, who I've, I don't think I've ever interviewed anybody from Rhode Island because there's a very small population there, but uh, is the fact that you guys have really turned this into a business and you went through the accelerator at, at Beta Spring in Providence, but then also were able to, to you know raise close to a million bucks uh, with Dave McClure of 500 Startups, who has a pretty big name and a lot of folks who are listening in will recognize uh, Dave's name and the fact that you guys are supported by him. Um, what sort of practical advice? I know obviously that's a big part of the grind is in addition to putting in the tech, connecting with the folks who could become someone that really supports this thing, who can believe in it, who you know, who can sort of help you structure something that really will be a winner when you can get it out there. Um, what, what practical advice do you have for other folks that might want to you know, raise themselves a million dollars for, for their own little tech startup? What were some of the, those bigger lessons learned? Yeah, sure. Um, well, I'll, I'll start out with a story for the first lesson. Um, cool. It's sort of a, around persistence. So I like it. When we when we were first starting, we we, we needed some capital so that we could stop doing consulting gigs, um, which was taking up a ton of our time away from the product and the startup. So we we knew we wanted to raise money, and so I I started making trips out to California to Boston to New York trying to raise money and I, I remember the first time I got introduced to Dave um, my a friend a fellow startup friend of mine had sent an intro and we sent a video and I remember we got one response from not Dave but one of Dave's partners um, to set up a meeting and then I followed up no response followed up no response Followed up again, no response. So we, so we, we thought that was not going to happen. Started working on more investors, and then eventually we, um, we were a friends of mine and I were doing this hackathon where we, um, we 
participate. It was a national hackathon, and we ended up winning the grand prize of this hackathon. And one of the prizes was to meet with Dave McClure and go on this short Geeks on a Plane trip with him. <laughs> so it wasn't until this point, and after seeing him, following him through three different countries, that I finally was able to convince him to invest in Wego. So it, it was a long roundabout way, but I mean, persistence really makes a difference. Yeah, so it, <laughs> big time, and I think that's yeah, that's uh, wow, that's a pretty a pretty interesting tale. But I guess uh, wow, man, that geeks on a plane thing panned out well for you guys. I always wondered how it was up there. It sounds like it went uh, went well enough for you. Um, yep, in yep. terms of in terms of what else you did to raise, I know it was Dave, and then there were some other folks that sort of chipped in to to help Wago really take off. Um, you know, in terms of those other those other kind of tips and best practices, obviously keeping your nose to the grindstone and, and making sure you stay plugged away and, 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 uh, and ensure that this raise actually happens. Obviously the commitment is sort of a, uh, an, an, an understatement of, of what's going to be required. Um, what are the other practical tips you had? I mean, maybe you guys had a hit list of investors who you knew you wanted to stay in touch with every X number of months. Maybe you started a uh, you know, a CRM, you could track everybody and make sure you stay in touch a little bit more frequently. What else did you do to sort of take persistence into action? You know, what were your persistent actions on a regular basis? Yeah, that's a, another great question. So one thing that's really also important is matching the investor to your product and your story. Got it. So part, part of why Dave ended up being a good fit for us and, and a lot of the other angels we've been talking to is um, they all had experienced the problem traveling abroad and um, being lost in this language. A lot, a lot of the angels that I had been keeping in touch with that later came into the rounds were uh, people who I had met in China and were, were small angel investors but had been living in China and maybe struggled learning Chinese um, or had been to Japan or Korea had a similar problem. So definitely finding people who can relate to your problem is important um, and you can some practical advice for finding those people AngelList is a great tool you can look at other startups in your industry or that are comparable and look at who's invested in those companies yeah yeah did you do you figure out I mean did you I mean maybe Dave you know he's got a big enough name and he's tweeting things you know from here and there uh, from his funky Twitter handle. Um, you know, did, did you just sort of know that he had that international experience and that maybe he'd relate to that pain point? How, how did you sort of connect with the folks and know like, okay, this guy is going to understand what the heck we're talking about? Because I actually, I like this as a take home message, match the investor to your product, uh, you know, in, in a meaningful way. Um, what were the ways that you connected those dots? What did angel.co show you that let you know, ha, okay, we're, we're talking to this guy. Um, yeah, so, well, what, one cool feature of Angel.co is you can sort investors by industry. So some of the keywords that I was looking for were travel, language, augmented reality. And these are all things where you can sort and see through, um, see what, what people have listed those as interests. <clears throat> um, for Dave in particular, I knew that he had spent a lot of time in Asia uh, and that Southeast Asia and China were, were of interest to his investment hypothesis. Yep. Uh, 
so I, and I, I felt that we had a pretty good fit with, um, with that investment hypothesis. So it was, I think, easier for us to convince um, Dave that our problem was significant. And then a, another really important lesson is to figure out how to get early traction and early customer adoption. Yeah, to, to make yourself more appealing for these investors. Of course, they want to see that. Right. And I, I mean, for us, we we didn't really have a good story until we had our first few thousand people using the product and giving us feedback uh, and showing that it's an actual useful tool that people are willing to pay for or look for. Yeah, so, so clearly conveying that traction. Outside of McClure, just so I, I, I get a feel too, um, and, and I like the idea of sorting. I mean, you guys really are augmented reality in the, in the you know, through, through translation, essentially, in some respects. Um, so being able to sort by augmented reality or, or something similar on um, Angel.co, I think, is useful. Did you, did you use any other social tools to figure out who was a traveler or you know, who, who could, you know, or other, other little signals that they might be hip to this investment? Because, again, I knew you had other angels on board and whatnot. Um, yeah, a lot of it is networking and yep. um, figuring out who, who out there is interested in this, in your type of technology. And um, part of I that, mean, I, I guess, is just, you know, you need a lot of face-to-face -face meetings, you need a lot of emails. To, so to an extent, I understand there's a lot of numbers games that's going to happen before you find that guy who's like, damn, that's right, I never understand those menus, you know? Yeah, and another good way to meet people is a lot of these startup competitions or startup events. Um, if, you're, if you're early in the stage of your company, if you can secure a spot to present your product at some of these events, a lot of investors show up or, well, there are quite a few occasions where we would present to a panel of investor judges and maybe they didn't particularly have an interest in our product, but they knew people in the space who might. Yeah, okay, they got could, it. They could make introductions as well. And even, even that, yeah, so you got to go through one face-to-face -to, -face to kind of get to another face-to-face, -face, but somebody knows somebody who might be hip to the kind of thing you're building. So obviously getting yourself out there is a big part of that. And speaking of getting yourself out there, the, the sort of next topic I was going to be delving into is the fact that I know you folks have had to do just that, obviously to get enough coverage, to get those few thousand folks, as you had mentioned, which was a big part of your investor appeal, and then obviously to kind of scale from here and, and continue to get yourself downloaded a whole bunch um, you guys have been featured in the New York Times, Los Angeles Times, uh, Discovery Channel, Popular Science, uh, kind of pretty big list here, laundry list of, of big media. Um, what are some of the helpful tips for other startups who want to go in that direction as well? I mean, I know, man, maybe three-quarters of the startups we've had on the show would, uh, you know, if they haven't already done the, the NYT, I mean, that's a checkbox they'd want to check. What kind of practical tips and advice do you have for people in that department, getting featured on big media? Yeah. Oh man, it's it's pretty intimidating when you get started. Um, <laughs> it's a dogfight. Yeah, but so one of the things you have to remember remember as a startup is you have a really valuable story behind what you're doing, which isn't the case with a lot of the bigger companies who are in the news all the time. They don't have the 
the story like for us I lived in Beijing and couldn't get around and so I I wanted to build a product to solve that that's a really yeah 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 you could see yep, story yep. that the journalists like to hear and um, they like to paint this hero picture so got one it. thing to remember as a startup is you really got to play up that heroic story and show like the the tribulations you've gone through and how you're making it happen and really show that determination because it, it makes a good story and a lot of journalists will, will latch on to that. No, I, I dig that. I dig that. So so you convey that in your your pitches off the bat or you convey that in later conversations? How do you get that across? I mean, because New York Times, I mean, you know, most folks probably do not where know where to start unless they have an uncle who works somewhere there. Um, they're not exactly sure who, who, who the first guy to, you know, uh, retweet is or email is, etc. Um, how do you begin conveying that in a way that moves you up the ladder to, to get featured in a big media slot like that? Um, so this one sort of ties back into similar advice from the investor front, but one of the early things that we did was we, we looked for journalists who cover areas that are of interest to our company. So a lot of what we were looking at was like tech in Asia um, or who writes about translation or language technology. And so we, we started targeting those people when we were preparing our stories and pitches. Um, and then once you find the right journalists, you, you have to work on drafting the story so that it's eye-catching and appealing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the that's the real game there. So you identified who those people might be, I guess, that might cover the sort of thing that you would fit into, sort of category you guys would fit into. In terms of how you get that across, was that initially through email? I know journalists usually don't like kind of the gimmicky subject line, you know, just to try to jolt them with an open. You know, how, how did you initially cross that chasm to to convey that message? You know, once you know who the who the target was, uh, you know, it's. It takes some takes some A/B testing. I mean, sometimes you you email journalists and they don't reply the first time, and then you tweak it with a new update and send it again. Yep. Um, well, that's the persistence thing, of course. I mean, you just sort of have to you have to be the water, and they have to be the rock, and you have to play that game for a while. Yeah. I, one thing that we did is we we reached out to mentors who who had some experience in press and worked with them on making sure our story was solid. Um, so that was, that was one thing. Oh, nice. Okay. So yeah, so you had yep. to give us feedback on the story and how, whether it was eye catching or captivating. Cool. So you, you figured out from, so you find folks who understand what's press worthy, who've been in the game for a while. Now, were these investors or just experienced mentors that you had met along the way? of them were investors and some of them were, were mentors that we, we met along the way. Got it. Okay. So either way, just pinging the message yeah. off somebody, hey, here's what we want to get out there. We're trying to reach out directly to the Times. Um, you know, do you think this is a good a good note or what else might you add to this or is there a different angle we should be taking here? Something like that. Right. Exactly. Cool. Got it. So just in closing then on, the, on this topic of press, I realize we've gone a little bit over, but this is some really cool stuff. And again, I know that any given startup who's who's tuned in uh, is is working towards that same checkbox. Um, 
if someone's starting from scratch, maybe they've gotten fe featured on a couple places and they're looking to really kind of climb that ladder and get themselves in the Times or, you know, LA Times or what have you, um, what's sort of the hit the ground running stuff that they should be doing? Is it, is it form that media hit list, really map out some variations of that hero story and start sending emails? Is it, you know, you, you tell me. I mean, it, the tough part of doing a startup is you almost have to do everything at once. Yeah, oh no, of course, but, of course, right? Uh, I think get, getting the story down is pretty important, and that helps you in a lot of ways. It, and investors like to hear that same story of why you're going to make a difference. Um, so, it, I mean, it, it's nice that they go hand-in-hand hand to some extent. Another thing with, with press is think about... Uh, news that you can provide to the journalists because they they like new things. Um, so yeah, yeah, they they, they us, like, like new things. That's that's a great, really simple way to put it. You know those yeah. journalists? They like new things. Those crazy right. guys. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Like when we we launched our Japanese version, there was a lot of interest from journalists because it was our first major it was breaking. Yeah, expansion. breaking. Yep. It was a totally new thing that, that no one knew about. Um, so. so what's new? What's news? How can you tie it to something, you know, fresh, hot happening right now? Right, exactly. Got it. Um, initial reach out, do you like email first? It depends. I mean, email is a good way because, I mean, it, you, it's actionable. You can do it anytime. Yep. Uh, I mean, it's good to think about timing of emails, too. Like, you you want to try and hit a journalist when they might be most likely to see it. So whether that be, like, the beginning of the day or, or the beginning of the week. Um, I've played around with that. and I mean, I usually find that earlier in the week and mornings are better. Got it. Well, that makes sense. And I've heard sort of the Tuesday morning is a good general rule of thumb there. Yeah. Which might be yeah. one to work with. So, cool, fantastic. And, and yeah, again, I know that uh, the crafting that hero story, which was as important for, for you, will be seemingly as important for anybody else who wants to get featured. And I, I really appreciate you bringing up that one point because even for myself, that was very much not top of mind. Thinking of it as a hero story, I think gives you a, a, a cool flavor of how you have to frame it in, in your own mind. So that is, uh, that's some good stuff to jot down on my end too. Ryan, just because I know we've gone a, a little bit over, but I think it's, it's cool that we got to cover everything from the, the real depths of the, the, or at least some level of the augmented reality tech, a little bit of your raise of 500 startups, uh, some of the aspects of press. If people want to learn a little bit more about Wago, I'm familiar obviously with your main site here at wagoapp.com. Um, where else they, can they go to learn about you or connect with your company? Sure. We well, we've got a blog um, and then a Twitter handle at at Wago App. Um, so you can reach reach us there or tweet at me. My handle is uh, Ryan underscore Rogowski. And um, I think it, if you want to include it in the description. Cool. Yeah, um, that'll be easy enough. People want to connect with you there. there I'll make too. sure I wrap that up. Great. Perfect. Well, Ryan, again, thank you so much for taking the time and being here for the interview with Tech Emergence. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much, Dan. It was great to be here. Hey, thanks for tuning in, guys. If you're an entrepreneur or a future thinker, 
uh, with an interest in businesses, transitions, or technologies that have the potential to alter human potential. And make sure you check out techemergence.com. It's our main blog site where you can see all of our other interviews with uh, top startup leaders, uh, entrepreneurship experts, and folks in the domain of technology, cutting-edge emerging technology. Uh, if you have a particular interest in how technology can affect the future of human consciousness and our conscious experience, then be sure to also check out sentientpotential.com. There we explore a lot of the ethical considerations and really serious moral matters of emerging technologies, in addition to interviews with great philosophers and technology experts of our day. Uh, more than anything else, always feel free to reach out if you can find us via email. Um, you can reach out to us there or whatever other way. Find us on the blog. Be sure to drop comments. We believe that the serious uh, conversation about the future is not only open-minded, but also interdisciplinary and multifaceted. So we'd like nothing more than to be able to glean your ideas as well. Uh, so with that being said, with the best of intentions for a brilliant future, this is Dan Fagella signing off. And we'll see you next week. <laughs>